Hey, Martin, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing amazing, my dear. What about you? Yeah, I'm doing good. It's good to be home. I mean, I was in Singapore mm -hmm. for, it feels like six or seven years. <laughs> I was there for a month. I don't think you I, did so many things. That's I did right. do so many things, but I don't think I've ever been in a hotel for that long. But I did learn a lot. Mm -hmm. Anyway, it's good to be doing another episode of e-commerce undercover. It is, definitely. It's good to see you again, too. It's been a while. <laughs> yeah, a lot of time, right? <laughs> and it's funny because the, when we started here, like it wasn't in French, mm -hmm. which is good because I was just trying to get my mindset, like is this whole thing going to be in French again kind of thing. No, not again, Major. <laughs> not this episode. <laughs> but I feel we can do this one in Spanish, right? Hablo Español. <laughs> no, I don't speak Spanish either, but I know the question at least. <laughs> you guys, I'm just going to leave. Anyway, who do we have with us today? Today we have Emilio from Oment. Oment. I love it. It's almost like augment without the G. Exactly. I don't know if that's on purpose. I don't know if that's on. Oh, it's exactly. So I don't know if that's on purpose or not, but it sounds like it might be. Emilio, how are you, by the way? Great, great. How are you guys? Great as well. I mean, doing super. And where are you right now? Now I'm in Miami. <laughs> so you're, and where are you from originally? Argentina. So you're in Miami from Argentina and the English lady who's muted is in Mexico City. Yes, exactly. We are a, a, a not very common team, I think. <laughs> no, not really. But at least like you're all in three sort of Spanish-speaking places, Miami, <laughs> Argentina, yes. and Mexico City. 100%. Yeah, yeah. It's, I'm, I'm, I, I like to say that I am living in the capital of Latin America. Yeah, Miami, for sure. I've never been there, but yeah, it feels like it should be, right? <laughs> the capital of Latin America. That's so good. Yeah, now it's it's changing a little bit because Miami is growing a lot uh, yeah. because of different uh, situations. But a lot of people from New York and California are coming to Miami, so it's like a tech boom around here. Uh, and really? also, yeah, 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 yeah. It's uh, and that's because also the prices here are, are getting getting every day <laughs> high higher. But but yep, Miami is, I think it's a good place to be. Is there something going on in Miami that's purposeful? In other words, like in Bangkok, they're trying to get startups to be here. You know, obviously, you know what's happening in Silicon Valley. In Chiang Mai, is like digital nomads. But is there something happening in Miami that's encouraging people to be there? Or is it just growing organically? You know what I mean? No, no. Definitely, there's a combination of things. Um, in one side, you have uh, taxes um, benefits here uh, versus oh, right. other, other states like New York or California. Uh, also, you have uh, the boom started with the pandemic, like a lot of people prefer to work uh, uh, from their homes in, fr in, in front of a beach. So yeah, um, I think that that is another thing. Um, and yeah, I think that those two things are the most important things. And because of that, a lot of VCs came to Miami to um, start new offices here. And that's mainly the, the, the reason why then startups are coming also to Miami. It's super interesting, and I feel like it's kind of weird that like the only American dude on the call is asking a guy who's not from the United States what's happening in Miami, and I've never <laughs> been there either. But it's kind of cool that it's growing up organically, right? Because that means it's probably going to last, right? If there was some purposeful thing. And am I correct that Florida is still a no-income tax state, right? So probably yeah. no corporate tax as well, yeah, kind of thing? Exactly, yeah, yeah. So a lot of big uh, tech companies are coming here, and a lot of big D2C companies also, like Open Store. Uh, like a lot of roll-ups are holding headquarters, are, are bringing their headquarters to Miami. So, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, super interesting. But you can see what's happening in the world, right? And this is actually super interesting. People are going from coast to coast. They want to be near a beach. They want to be in a place where, like, the environment is good, not just for their business life, right, but for their personal lives as well. Does that make sense? Do you know what I mean? For sure, right. That's, that's kind of a reason why we are in Thailand, right? Because we can do both. Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you, Martin, I said I just got back from Singapore, right? But when I was there, one of the conversations I had often with people was like, you know, why do you live in Thailand? Mm -hmm. And I would explain <laughs> to them like what just what my life was like, right? Just from a business perspective, yeah? And just how I got to live and what the cost structure was like. And it just doesn't make any sense in the context of what's going on. Like there's amazing business there, amazing finance in Singapore. And obviously the government does some incredible things there too. But if you can travel in a world where there's no travel restriction, living in Bangkok is super beneficial. Anyway, yeah. so do you live in Miami or are you just there on business? Yeah, 
I'm now in business, but I'm moving permanently uh, if things go well uh, next month. So where did you found Ament? Am I pronouncing that right? Yes, a lot of people think that is uh, and and uh, that is almond here. Like the uh, how do you no, say? No, 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 no. No, you don't think so. <laughs> almond um, is that how? You, that's not how you pronounce it. Almond, yeah. Almond, yeah. I think that I need to. Yeah. So, what was the question again? Why or when? No, no. So, did you find that found it in the United States? Did you found yes. it in Argentina, like you did? Yeah, in the United States, we are headquarters here in Miami, okay, and around great. yeah, fifty. 52% of our merchants are from the US. Okay, well what does augment do? Like is it is it a is it a play on augment? Do you know what I mean? Is it a play on words? Yeah, yeah, at some point yeah because um, basically um, augment uh, we are building augment to help uh, small e-commerce brands get new sales easily across uh, multiple channels from social media and more traditional ones like email and SMS. So basically, the, the world is, Augment came from augmentation and automation, uh, a little bit with segmentation too, because this is what we know, we, what we are, are the best uh, at. at uh, but yeah, like those two words, uh, automation, augment, segmentation, to, to, uh, to, that's how we came to, to the name of Augment. But what's your what's your business background, right? In other words, why did you think about starting this? What happened to you, or what's been happening to you in your business career that said to you, "Oh, you know all this stuff, and you should start this company"? Yeah. So there are two sides of the story. Uh, I think that me personally, as an online buyer, and me and my co-founders in our uh, professional backgrounds. So as an online buyer, and maybe you feel part of that too. I felt that brands were sending me tons of spam, not only through email, through SMS, in LATAM, through WhatsApp, but also ads everywhere that were irrelevant to me. And because of my background and the background of my, of my co-founders that we uh, work, in, in, in work in growth for different uh, companies, uh, mainly multinationals, I'm going to tell you a little bit more now, um, we realized that there, there is a lot of money that maybe big brands can spend and test and test and test and try different things uh, without running out of business. And we said, hey, uh, what about small brands? Like they cannot be playing with their money and trying to do everything and try to reach everyone. Like that's very tough. Um, and we decided to start Almond because we saw this gap about uh, uh, an increasing gap between the big brands with big teams, big budget and the small brands that were not, uh, that have no bandwidth to, to to really take advantage of, of their data, of the channels that they have um, uh, chances to use. So that's mainly the, the reason. And what, what were you and your co-founders doing before? In other words, were you working for big brands or did you try to start your own online stores? Like, how did you figure this out, right? Y yeah, so, well, um, one of my co-founders, we worked together, uh, we were the growth marketing team of WeWork for Latin America. Um, so we have a big background on performance marketing uh, also, one of my co-founders is the, is the ex-e-commerce manager, Faridas, uh, also for, for LATAM. Um, and then um, so our CTO and our CPO worked for different fintechs, so they have a lot of knowledge about product. Um, and myself, I, was, I came more from the, from, the, from the big brands world, like I was brand manager of Corona and Stella Artois for Argentina, Chile, and Uruguay before that. In WeWork, I was in, after after Corona. I was in charge of, of of partnerships. So, so yeah, like branding and performance were our is our is our is our big background. What was it like working at WeWork? <laughs> that I know, I know, I knew that 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 question is, is going to come. Yeah, like I think at a roller coaster. Um, um, I think that that we lived uh, like. I don't know how to say it in English, but like uh, the, 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 like a, a, a super, super massive growth of sales and marketing spend. and, uh, that, that, and That's kind of what I want to know. Like, what is it like being in a hyper growth and hyper sales environment, right? That's the thing I'm really curious about. We work or not we work, I kind of don't care. But I'm curious yeah. about what that environment is like because I don't think most people have ever experienced it. What does that feel like? It's crazy. Like you uh, live every day. As a founder, I think uh, we were, we really felt that we were 
part of the funding team at WeWork and we worked for that and we were working 24-7 to make uh, the company grow. Uh, we did it, uh, maybe not so uh, healthy in terms of financials uh, for the company, but yeah, like our job, we did, uh, we did a great job. Like we imagine that 98% uh, our, our buildings in Latlam were with 98% of occupation. Uh, most of them came from from digital marketing efforts that my team did so so yeah like it's amazing <laughs> but do you so were you part of the launch team in latin america so did you feel like in a way because you already said like you felt product ownership there you almost felt like a founder i'm just trying to translate that into that feeling of then leaving that f pace right and then going out and saying hey, let's do it again, but now let's really be founders. Do you know what I mean? Because it's a kind of a different thing. What was that like? Yeah, well, I, I think that it's, it was a little bit more tough for my co-founders who jumped from the, the, the companies they were. I left WeWork at the end of 2019. And okay. after that, I tried to, to start some failed uh, uh, businesses. Uh, so I, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, very fun, but very tough uh, during the pandemic without job, but uh, trying to, 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 to survive. But it was, it was a great experience. Uh, and then I started talking with, with my co-founder and say, hey, it's a great moment to be. Like Argentina has a, a, an exceptional um, um, comparative advantage because it's very, very cheap to live there uh, and to build software from there to the world. Um, so it was, hey, like we can live without earning zero money sometimes some months maybe years living in argentina why where don't we start it's the moment uh so yeah it's it's a totally different experience yeah for sure being a real founder rather than an employee but it's it's great was it hard for your co-founders to leave like bigger companies and bigger jobs do you know what i mean because like for you like you said you're like jump off of one rocket ship onto another rocket ship it's kind of the same thing but for them it's like how do I yeah. tell my mom I'm leaving my job at uh, you know Diageo or something, and oh. I want to go work with Emilio? <laughs> yeah, like who the hell is Emilio? Yeah, who's Emilio? Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I think that was very very tough for them. Uh, in, in case of uh, WeWork, it was not so hard because WeWork was in a not in a very good moment at that moment. Uh, but for example, our CTO. He was working for a cybersecurity company that was growing a lot. It wasn't like a serious B, I think, startup, but it was growing a lot. He was earning ton of dollars like every good developer in the world and living in Argentina. Like you can live in Argentina with $1,500. You can live very, very well in Argentina, like very he well. He was making $15,000. So yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I came to him um, with a friend we had in common and was like, Hey, why don't you leave? What? Like, why? Uh, it doesn't make sense. Uh, and it's funny because uh, it was like when you want to date with someone, like I, it was really a date for me. Like I called him, I text him, we made, made a lot of Zooms. I was trying to convince him. I was showing the, the, the huge market opportunity that was here, the problem that we, 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 were, we, we will be able to solve. And it was like, I invited him to, to, to have dinner. I, I talked with, he, with his girlfriend. It was like a, a process of two months. Uh, of, and this guy is amazing, very good engineer. And from one day to another, he became crazy and say, Amy, can we talk? Yes. I mean, and it was like, oh shit, I can't believe it. And I thought, I, 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 I remember that at, at one second after that, I imagined, oh, the, his girlfriend is going to kill me. Like his girlfriend <laughs> is, is going to kill me. <laughs> but well, let's see that after that. <laughs> so, so how did you explain to him how big this opportunity was? Right, Because something you said must have convinced him. He's making a ton of money. He's living a good life. And you're right. It is like a date in a way, right? You've got to convince somebody that you know, leave your current thing and come out on a dinner date with me because when you're done with this dinner, it's going to change the way you think about life. And that's basically what you did over a two-month period of time. But what was it that changed his mind? How big is this thing? Yeah, so I think that the first step was talking about the mission uh, that is uh, uh, basically giving the opportunity to a lot of so small brands uh, get access uh, to profitable customers that maybe big brands do. 
yeah. and because when you hear that uh, new brands in Shopify that do not make it, uh, their first sale in the in their first forty days of life, they will run out of business. You realize, oh shit, there are a lot of companies and new brands that cannot survive because they don't know how to market their store. Uh, and it, that was like the, the the most like a mission part of the hey we can make a lot of people start their business like helping them with the marketing side getting new customers like this is a unique opportunity and the market is huge i mean there are more than eight million active stores in the world including shopify bigcommerce woocommerce magento and all the 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 big ones and small ones too so the, the the problem is huge uh and the complexity to to get customers across different channels is getting getting uh, even uh, harder every every year because of different uh, situations. So yeah, like let's let's help a ton, a thousand of people to to start and run their business better. So what is the way to use technology to allow smaller brands to be able to compete with bigger brands, right? Because a big brand, like you said, like Adidas, Nike, Walmart, all these gigantic companies can just throw a ton of money at five different agencies and kind of get some kind of impact that they want, right? Some kind of outcome. But if I've got a better product, right? We talk about this a lot. It's like, how do you eliminate, not eliminate because you can't do it, but how do you minimize the noise around the product and create signals so that people can buy? How does tech help facilitate that? Do you know what I mean? Like, what do, what do these smaller merchants need to know how to do to do this better? Yes, it's an amazing question. I think that the big, big uh, resume of, of of that is, and it's, and it's how we see success. So the only way to succeed for a brand is to show their product to high, pro, to a high intent audiences, right? To put their intent, product yeah, in so front the high intent of audiences. high intent Go audiences. Ahead. Yeah, so, so that's a topic that is, sounds like very, very far from a merchant perspective and say in terms of, hey, like, what do I do to, to achieve that? Like, right, like, so, so Facebook is, is getting, uh, much more difficult to, to get to those audiences. Uh, TikTok is very expensive yeah. or whatever, or whatever. Yeah. Exactly. So, so at the end, um, I think that there's a, a learning phase uh, for the merchant that has to do with, uh, hey, you need to have access to all these uh, communication channels, but not, it's not also only about marketing. It's also about unit economics. So uh, it's easy to say, like, there's money getting in on the business and it's money getting out. So if the money getting into the business uh, has a very, very uh, poor cost, um, a, a very, a very low average order value, and the, your, your unit economics are poor, and you are um, acquiring customers at a very high price, then you're, you're probably even if you have a great branding, a great product, you will not survive. So um, I think that technology and what we are building is basically with the aim to put the product of these small brands in front of high intent audiences, no matter the channel. Yeah. So. Actually, one of my, <clears throat> one of my, you'll, you'll find this actually really interesting, right? So my brother's wife's sister's husband started a company called, In, no, it's true. He started a company called Intent Media. And the whole point of Intent Media was to go out and find these intentional audiences and to try to find out what they had an intention to do. And his whole thesis, he started it in the travel business because I think he was one of the founders of a company called like, 57 travel i can't remember but it was something that got bought by travelocity or something like this years ago but what they figured out was you could actually put ads on your competitor's site because they're going to go to them anyway to try to do some kind of price comparison now in the e-commerce business and the way you do it right with smaller brands it's slightly different but this idea of intention is actually really important yeah how do you as a team not just measure it, but like understand who has an intention and who doesn't and what they're intending to do. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so basically, um, so I think that the, uh, a customer becomes a high intent, uh, a potential customer becomes part of a, of a high intent audience uh, is when they have their credit card looking at the page so that's like the, the most uh, figure, uh, like, uh, you know, that's it. If you have the credit card here and you're looking for your product, for, uh, and you're looking for the product of this brand, yeah, you are basically a high intent audience. So um, at some point, you need to try to learn how to identify, identify those customers and how to reach them, like uh, 
through which channel and which is the best moment to do that. And also not only through which channel or, or, or which moment, but also with the content, right? And that's another uh, chapter. Like if you are irrelevant for this, for this type of content audiences, probably they will not become, <laughs> uh, they will not come to buy your product. So, so I, I, I think that, it's it's how we develop our core product like it's part of ident receiving the good, the good data identifying the core segments and then try to figure out what are the best options to reach those customers but where do you get the data from right because to me this is a massive data and data analysis problem and we can spend a lot of time actually talking about data right because you can have all this data but we talked before about you know, minimizing noise and finding signals, right? So inside of that data, you've got to clean the data and make sure that it's relevant to the thing that you're trying to sell. But how do you build out this sort of ML ops, right? This machine learning ops to then be able to process all this data, some of which is happening in real time, to then be able to create this idea that, yeah, actually that lady is an intentional buyer and she wants to buy some training shoes and you have the best possible training <coughs> shoes for her to buy. Like, how do you do that? It's so hard, right? Yeah, like... It's, it's very hard. You need to build these machine learning models. You need to have a lot of track in terms of analyzing and uh, data and from multiple data sources. Um, we are just, so we started very few months ago. So we are just starting with a, with a Shopify integration. So we, we can do intelligence and build segmentations from that because of we, have, we are receiving behavioral and transactional data. But of course, in order to grow that intelligence, you need to receive um, data from other partners uh, yeah. and try to yeah so so there there are a lot of things to that you can do to to start identifying these customers and trying to see where to reach them but 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 it's not only about transactional and behavioral data in in the merchant store but also um, there are some other options that you can do of course uh, um, like um, uh, being in compliance with the with the with the consents and the and the and the legal uh, rules that 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 the government expect to us to to do to to yeah to do yeah so so there are a lot of ways not only with this data that that maybe a partner or um, Shopify for example can bring to you but also there are other options to understand about uh, the customers that is even more simple things like if you have the chance to ask a potential customer what do they want and when they sure. want to be reached, then you have a lot of data that you can uh, bring to the, to the model. And do you partner with Shopify to get, like, can you get access to that data or do you have to negotiate on a one-on-one -on -one basis with every one of these merchants? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, definitely. It's a one-on-one -on -one negotiation. Yeah, so basically you cannot, and it's okay because you cannot access to, uh, the data from a merchant without the consent of that merchant uh, and the consent of the customers of those merchants, you know. So, so yeah, so, it's a one-on-one. Yeah, actually, that gives me a thought. Have you seen that um, Shopify launched Shopify audiences to their uh, Shopify Plus customers? And basically what they do is that they share the data across all the stores to help, like for somebody... For example, somebody who sells jewelry, they are going to aggregate the data for all the jewelry store using Shopify. And then they can tell you like, okay, these kind of customers are better and you should do your marketing like this and stuff like that. So they are kind of aggregating and sharing the data of all the stores, customers as well, including your competitor. So this is kind of the tricky part. So how do you, I don't know, like maybe differentiate with that? or work with that, I don't know. Yeah, so I think that um, the algorithm that Shopify is building around high intent audiences is going to become even better uh, through, the, uh, through every month and, and the years coming. Um, I think that it's a great idea, it has a lot of sense. Um, I don't think we will never compete with them because I think that we are going to partner with Shopify audiences at some point because at least our job is to make uh, our merchants' uh, life easier with these uh, uh, different acquisition techniques. So if we have access to these audiences as partners from Shopify, definitely we are going to be able to offer a better uh, product to our merchants.
And to but a certain yeah, extent, if you, if you can, like, if you can partner with Shopify audiences, right, then you can have all this aggregated data that you may not have access to otherwise if you have to go on a one-on-one -on -one basis to every one of the merchants. And to be fair, if you can build a better analysis tool or really understand at scale, right, like how to do, how to build this intentional audience, sure. I mean, in the same way, it's just like what Shogun did in the page building thing. Yep. No? Uh -huh. Yeah. So, you, again, like... Shopify tried to do this page building thing, which was terrible. And now Shogun's <laughs> worth 750 million bucks or a billion dollars. Well, it right? must have only come from Shopify, so. <laughs> yeah, but fair enough. You, I don't care like who invests in it, but yep. still like the fact that Shopify could invest in Almond. For sure, for yep. sure. Yeah, right? that's, that's definitely possible. Interesting. Yeah, so at the end, is if you can help the merchant make more money, Everybody's everyone is yeah, happy. Yeah, they don't care. Yeah, and they, don't, and they don't care how they they don't care how it happens as long as it's legal, right? And it uh, doesn't violate any data privacy issues. Yeah, and yeah. and actually, that's a very good point that you bring up. Like, how does that work in Europe with GDPR? Because yeah. because in Europe we are more going towards cookie-less and no tracking and all of that. And so us on the tech side for e-commerce, we are really building stuff that are allowing each store owners to do the tracking and get the data and then feed, like for example, Google Analytics or Facebook with data that they can't really identify who was on your store and stuff like that. So this is more the way that tracking is going in Europe. So do you have some views about that? Like, did you check or it's not your market yet and you focus on, 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 on the US? Yeah, so yeah, we want to build a product ready to be used for every company in the world. And for that, we need to be from scratch uh, uh, in compliance with the rules uh, that governments are working on. I think uh, that uh, it's important, uh, the privacy for the end customer is very important. Uh, and also at the same time, it's very important, uh, and me also as a customer, uh, to receive uh, um, the opportunities to buy products that I like, you know? Um, so I think that it's, it's a huge challenge, um, for even small brands because at the end, what is happening because of these uh, restrictions in privacy policies is that the costs of acquiring customers is getting, uh, bigger and bigger and bigger. So, uh, and it's what we talked about uh, before with Michael, like maybe big brands don't care about, they, they're going to figure it out. Like you can talk to anyone, maybe it's going to be relevant to someone. Um, and, but for small brands, these uh, privacy policies that I, I think that are great and, 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 and people deserve to have privacy, um, uh, need to, to help us to be to help us, the tech developers to be creative on, on really how to, to help these small brands and also, um, uh, be in compliance with the, with the rest, uh, the privacy policies. Uh, so I think that. It's like if cookies are going to um, be uh, are going to disappear, and Apple is going to be even more and more and more restricted every year. I think so. It's part for of us to be more creative and to be able to ask for consent as more as we can to every customer we have, so we have more opportunities to reach them in compliance with the privacy policies. Yeah, and to be fair, the harder it gets, the more it means that other people aren't going to try to do this, right? So that just means that there are fewer participants, excuse me, and fewer competitors. So fair enough, right? Um, I never mind when stuff gets hard. We talk about it a lot, right? Because the harder it gets, more people just are like, oh boy, it's Give way up. too hard. Let Emilio do it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> For sure. Let Emmy do it. Um, you, you must talk to just a bucket load of these e-commerce sellers, Yeah. What are you learning from them, though? Do you know what I mean? Because you're not in it every day. They're in it every day. What are they telling you that they need? And then do you have this sort of ability to then go out and build that product for them? Because this is one of the other things. I don't want to say anything bad about big companies like <coughs> Shopify, but but like the customer service there is is, let's just say it's challenging, right? So if you can get on the phone with your potential clients and work work with them to build the stuff that they need directly, it's got to be way more impactful. What are they telling you they need? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, well, uh, there is a learning phase that is very interesting here. That is about how to not only use the, the, the tech stack uh, that is available, but also 
really understand how to put their products in front in front of these people, right? So, um, so right. there is a there is a, a big challenging about uh, learning and explaining and helping these customers to think uh, in a three sixty way as, as 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 a company, not just as a hobby a small brand who wants to start selling something. Um, but also I think um, for, with, with technology, um, I, I like to say, um, the, I, I like to give, I will answer you with an example. Let's say, uh, do you know Canva? The, the design tool. Canva, like the editing tools, right? Yeah, Canva, the design tool Sorry, from Australia. Yeah. Yeah, I do. So basically, I think <laughs> did you just, did you just make fun of my American accent? Yeah, did, no, no, no. I I, I I saw you change it. You were like, oh, let me let me talk like a silly person, like no, an American. No, 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 no. It's good. I need to improve my English. No, 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 no. <laughs> you sound awesome. I sound like an idiot. Go ahead. I love it. So I think that before Kemba existed, um, uh, the only way to design beautiful things was to hire a designer, right? Um, yeah. After Canva uh, came to the market, it gave, it, gave, it gave us the possibility to non-designers to build beautiful and to build and design beautiful creatives, right? Um, and before that was possible, right? And now it's possible. Um, I think that there is a huge opportunity for the same things in terms of uh, getting new customers across social media, email and SMS uh, with like a Canva, uh, but for the marketing automation world, you know, and yeah. I'm just going to say, so you've, you've nailed this and I want to, I want to tell you why, right? And I don't know if Aument is going to succeed or not, but here's what I know about business and what's happening in the tech world. And again, stop me when you feel like I have this wrong, but if every business is made up of, let's just say 15 or 20 functions, right? some of which are unique to your company, not yours, but to a particular company, right? Like I can't make Coca-Cola as well as Coca-Cola makes it, right? They have that thing, but they do need to do marketing. And to be fair, they may, you may be able to abstract out the marketing part of it so that Coca-Cola can then not outsource it, but use an outside company to do it. And they can do that in the human resources space. They can do it in the back-end accounting space. That's why zero is so effective, right? Because what they've done is they said, you, you don't want to do accounting. We can do it. And because we can do it at scale for Coca-Cola, for Disney, for everybody, it can be way less expensive because we build the infrastructure and you just piggyback on the infrastructure using an API, right? This is why Mac is so important. And I think you've probably found a thing that can be abstracted. And that abstraction is taking away the marketing and the online sort of connectivity to clients and understanding how that data gets worked. And if you can build that abstraction layer, then every business should be able to use yours. And to be fair, at some level, even big brands can use it because then they can, you can build things that they can't. And that's why the opportunity is so big. Th does that make sense? Yeah, 100%, Michael. I am totally agree, uh, aligned with that. Um, and I think that, yeah, so the big challenge here is to build the product, you know, to, to really build the Canva of, of the marketing automation world uh, yeah. and give the, a real possibility to these small brands to earn, uh, to get new profitable customers easily across multiple channels. But the opportunity is there because there is so much complexity every year that the opportunity is, is, is there. It's like we can touch it, I think. But again, this, this ability to abstract it away means that then a company can focus on going out and getting the best products. And if they can go out and get the best products, then they have to worry less and spend less on that marketing side of their business because it's kind of getting taken care of. In other words, if in a universe of, let's say, one gigantic FMCG company, mm -hmm. yeah, and nine small brands, let's just say that's the only thing that exists in the world. And that one big FMCG company goes, we're going to spend a fortune on marketing. We're going to build our own data infrastructure. We're going to understand all of this down to the last consumer. That's okay. But the nine small brands can't, right? But, but given the right technology and the right abstraction, they can plug into you and do the same thing that that big FMCG brand can do. And that's the difference. And that's why you know if you find that thing to abstract out, that then they can go and do that.
because they can't do it without you because they'll never be able to match the data infrastructure, the MLOps infrastructure as that big FMCG brand. But you can because you can spread the cost out over not just nine, but like nine million. And that big FMCG brand has to do it all by itself. Does that make 100%. sense? 100%. Yeah. And, and that's something that we we want to speed on in our product roadmap that is like building a core infrastructure for almonds and an open api to to give a lot of brands not only from the shopify ecosystem but also a lot of brands that are coming to us that we cannot uh, support yet uh so so yeah definitely what does it look like for a merchant in other words let's say i agree that i'm going to use the almond product when I wake up on day one, what am I doing differently? And what does it look like to me? And then what kind of response am I getting from Allmint? And what do I know when I'm done using it so that then I can go out and sell better? Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, exactly. So basically, as uh, the product is now, uh, we have only two uh, um, available channels that are email and SMS. Basically, we give them okay. all the possibility. We, we take all the effort of building the customer segmentations and flows. But with technology, it's not like the merchants do not be, do not need to build the flows manually, like maybe they need to do with other tools or maybe build the segmentations. So basically a merchant once uh, can set up a lot of uh, marketing automation flows for email and SMS. Um, and then we have uh, the attribution models already built for all of these uh, marketing uh, action, uh, sorry, for these email and SMS flows to show the merchants how much money they are getting into the business. Um, and also they have the possibility to build campaigns of multiple touches, but with a super easy, easy, easy way to do it. Like they, you don't need to be an SMS expert or an email expert in order to, to build um, hyper-personalized uh, marketing campaigns. You know? and, and what if I'm using something like MailChimp or some service like that? Do you integrate with that too so that my email that I'm already doing is already working or do, do I need to do something different? And, and is, is my connectivity to you as a merchant via an API or do I have to do some kind of integration? Yeah, so now uh, as we are only integrated with Shopify, merchants can access Element through the App Store, for example, and install the app. So it's very, very easy. Ah, it's, okay. it's a couple of clicks. Yep. Um, we are not uh, yet integrated with a MailChimp, for example, or Klaviyo. Uh, in fact, we have our yep. our own uh, ESP inside of Aument, also with SMS. That's what I want to know. Because okay. that's a great question. Because and it's something that we uh, we we talked about with with the other with my co-founders. That is, it's great to have integrations, but if there's a point, if your core business is to send communications, or relevant communications, you cannot. Yeah. ask the merchant who has no bandwidth and no time to take a lot of marketing yeah. stack from everywhere and try to, uh, to to use everything at the time. Of course, it's impossible to be the best at everything, you know? So that's why it's so hard to build product. And that's why we need to prioritize and see what's next. It is, it is. But to be fair, you're right, right? In other words, if I want to bake a cake, right? If I'm a restaurant and I want to bake a cake, I don't have to have the best oven in the world but I need an oven. Do you know what I mean? And I need to have the ingredients in my kitchen to be able to do it. And even if it's not the best oven, I don't want to be able to have to go down the street after I've made the cake and then bake it and then take it out and bring it back to my restaurant. It's just too complicated. You don't want to build complexity into the product. You want to take it out. Exactly. Yeah? And one of the things that why in case of email, we think that it's okay for us to build, uh, to have this in our product is because one of our investors is Isaac Saldana, uh, the founder of SendGrid. Um, and what I was saying to his team, of, uh, it's a, an amazing VC uh, that's called Hivehatch, is that uh, they uh, spam exists in the world because of, the, because of them and the MailChimp guys. Like, they built so good infrastructure that every email gets into the, into the, into the primary email. Yeah. Uh, but it's not, that's not fair. It's not fair for brands uh, because they need to send a lot of emails and spend a lot of money. And it's not fair for the consumers because they receive a lot of things that are not interested for them. So, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So, are you using the SendGrid 
infrastructure? Uh, or are you yeah, the, the, that's the funny part. No, we are not using a cellular infrastructure <laughs> yet. Yet. I was going to ask the same thing. <laughs> yet, yet, yet. But here's the other thing I want to know. Like, if you go and you look at the stock prices, right, for some of your big e-commerce providers from, like, I'm going to pick a date, March of 2020 until March of 2022, they all, like, skyrocketed because everybody was stuck in their house and everybody had to go shopping online, even if they wanted to go to a store. But particularly in, like, big Western countries like the United States and all over Europe, you go out now and nobody's wearing a mask and you say COVID and people are like, I had a cousin named COVID, but he <laughs> seems to be fine. Like, you know what I mean? Like, every, everything seems to be okay. But did we have a sustainable gro- – I'm really curious about this, right? Do we have a sustainable growth in e-commerce or did we have a spike because people were stuck at home? It's probably somewhere in the middle. But what's the impact on stu- on big companies like that and all the stuff that you do as well? Do you know what I mean? Because if you plant, not you, but if one planned on, you know, 20, 30% month over month or year over year growth ad infinitum, right, because COVID was going to keep people home, well, when that goes away, what's the impact, you think? Yeah, so I think that the big impact uh, was from the consumer side in terms of giving the, 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 the scenario of, that buying digital things, it's okay. Uh, but at some point people need to go uh, also to, to, to meet re- in real life with the products they want, you know? So I think that of course the yeah. pandemic accelerated the growth, the expected growth for e-commerce in these years. I don't think that the trend of the, the growth trend will decrease um, from the, 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 the growing trend that was before the pandemic. So maybe it was like a, yeah, it was a peak, but it will it will keep growing because it's about um, fair enough. It's it's it's. I think that there is not a, an unlimited online. Uh, yeah, I mean, there, there's no you, you will we will never have a hundred percent online sales and no no more uh, no. physical sales. You know, so so uh, I think that the trend is going to grow for online brands, and as there are more people consuming, as there are more. Young people that are more used to 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 buy online, the the, the trends is going to to grow. I think that the pandemic just accelerated it for in those years. So you talked. I I don't know if we started recording or or before we were recording, but you threw out this word called roll ups, right? And you said that a lot of them are moving their headquarters into Miami. And I have to ask about this, right? If you look at some of these big funded companies that are rolling up Shopify brands or Amazon brands or whatever, is there an impact on that? Is there an impact on you as well from that? Do you know what I mean? In other words, if I'm Thrasio and I go out and I pay, you know, four times earnings for every good online seller, am I then going out and stopping some of the data stuff that you're doing or are they then going out and doing more of it? Do you know what I mean? Like, do you see that as a good thing for you, a bad thing for you? How does that ecosystem look to you? For us, it's, it looks very interesting because uh, I, I see that ro- we don't have rollups as, as, as customers uh, yet. Uh, but I think that at some yeah. point, uh, they're going to be great partners for us because uh, their, their business model is to buy something and have uh, and, and, and boost these brands to, to other level because of their... Yeah. That's why I asked, right? Because they're gonna, they're not gonna need what you do. It seems like to me because it's a it's a great way for them to get efficiency across a bunch of different businesses. Yeah, one hundred percent. Like I, I, we don't have that part developed yet, but I think that we can really, really help rollups to to boost the sales of, of their brands and to like uh, consolidate a lot of the marketing efforts they are doing for other brands on the same platform. So yeah, definitely. Yeah. Interesting. Are you sh- are you concerned? You know, if, if this had been 10 or 15 years ago, I wouldn't have even asked about this. I just would have made an assumption about the macroeconomic situation and just figured, well, you know, it's cyclical. We have recessions, we have um, growth stages and stuff like that. But I think the way that businesses perceive them now are different. Like, do you, I don't want to say care about because I'm sure you do, but are you concerned at scale about, what's the right word, like economic cyclicality? Or are you just building into a long-term trend? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so we are building in a long-term trend, definitely. Uh, that's what you asked, like, if we are building something to... In the, yeah. in the, no, no. Like are, you wor- like, are you worried if there's a recession? I hear all this commentary about recession, inflation, all these other things. And, and to me, like, I care. 
because it hurts individual people and I don't want anyone to get hurt. I want people to like live a great life. But it's like if we if if everybody died every time there was a recession, there'd be no humans on the planet, right? Like I don't want to be insensitive about it, but I'm just saying like the world is cyclical. If we're in a recession now, yeah, it's hard. I've been through some super hard ones, right? And they're very painful. But if you're building a company for the long term, you got to build through that, right? So that's what I'm saying. Like, yep. do you are you worried about it or are you just building? Through yeah. It? So no, we're building through it. We are focused on solving a problem, and the problem will keep happening in a recession or in a hyper growth uh, economic uh, scenario. So for, for us, we, are, we have our focus in our product, in talking to users and build our product. Um, that's from, from the almond uh, perspective. So of course, it, it, uh, it's, it's, recessions are tough for a lot of people. There are a lot of, of, of laid-offs. It's really tough. And even for our customers, it's hard. It's hard. Because um, yeah. small brands who have no unit economics, no, no, who have no healthy unit economics, maybe will not survive. And the costs of acquiring customers is increasing and there is inflation um, and the supply chain is getting a very, very complex. Uh, so, yeah, of course, maybe we can be hit for, with a recession, too. Um, so it's, it's like these kind of situations inspire us to build more like we want to build faster to help these people as soon as we can you know right yeah yeah, yeah. so <clears throat> before we let you go right what do you see the long-term growth of Ament looking like do you know what i mean yeah like how big is this going to get and what other types of products and services can you build into it you can't just be like a one product company it doesn't work right well um so basically I like to say this easy sentence about we want to help smaller brands get new sales easily, right? So we started with marketing, yep. like building different communication channels, different different building different models to to segment better to build better segmentations. Like we have a lot to do there, but at some point, marketing is not the only way to help merchants get new sales easily, you know. So. Yeah. Uh, there is a point uh, that um, to finance, even to finance ads, for example, or inventory, you need cash, of course. So uh, we are developing so much intelligence in terms of um, customer, um, in terms of predict how the customers of each brand uh, have uh, opportunities to come back to buy. Like we, I think that we have, we are building better intelligence that maybe uh, a fintech has about uh, their merchants. So at some right. point, if we execute well and we have a great network of brands, there is a huge opportunity also to help them, not only with optimization and profitable customers, but also with the money they will need to really boost those channels, you know? Yeah, now you're talking my language, okay. <laughs> what? Yeah, because no, the reason the reason why I ask right is because I just want to understand how you're going to use all this data and this intelligence that you're gathering, right? In other words, you're, if you're just using it for the merchants, that's neat. But if you're using it for yourself to then go back and help the merchants, like I think there's a massive opportunity, and Martin and I talk about this all the time. I think there's a massive opportunity for some company who's helping merchants build who's helping them grow, who's helping them have better interactions with their customers, who's helping small brands do this. At some point, you know who the winners and losers are going to be. So you could potentially invest in those brands, first of all. But second of all, you could create your own bespoke marketplace. You know, just call it like bestbrands.com. I don't know. I'm just making stuff up. Do you know what I mean? For the places where there's real hyper growth, again, to eliminate all of the noise around the other brands that aren't growing and just focus on the ones that are that have the best products so that people don't have to go through this search and destroy problem to find the stuff they love. Yeah, well, that's, yeah. that's, right. about that. that's very powerful. <laughs> and it's like a, the, the um, audience is uh, like an audience is marketplace, you know, with, uh, people interested in some kind of products and, and they have access to those products that they only care about and giving the access to brands. Yeah, it sounds like an Amazon at the same point, but yeah, like in terms of audiences, it's different. It, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't though, right? Because you, you mentioned this word, and I'm so happy you brought it up at the beginning, this idea of intention, right? To be intentional. Because at the end of the day, if you're going to go to personalized and customized products, well, if you have the best growing products and you have the market intelligence and you have the data, 
what's to stop uh, these small brands from saying to their clients on an individual basis, we have the ability to make any product you want. You trust us to build great products and find great products. What do you want? Like just going out and asking. You know, you mentioned dating before, right? At some point, you can just say, before you ask, or when you ask somebody out on a date, French food or Italian food? Wh which one do you want so I don't have to guess? Because that's how you know the date's going to be better. And you have that intelligence once you know nobody likes French food. <laughs> but once you know that they like Italian food, that's just a joke. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like once you know, then you're not going to go to a French restaurant because it's a waste kind of thing. You ha but you'll have that data. Exactly. And your merchants will too. So you should be able to do a whole bunch of other stuff with it. That, that's all I was asking. Yeah. And it's, that's a very, very interesting stuff because um, if you have the ability to ask people what they want to buy, what they really like to, to see, uh, if they want to, I mean, if you are um, a lover of, of, of some kind of product and you want to receive um, different products, uh, opportunities to buy that product at different point of, of, of your time of, of the year then yeah it's okay if you give me that if you give me that information to me with your consent i can talk with a lot of my brands or the brands that i know have hey do you sell this 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 glass that i have here i have a lot of people that are interested in buying these kind of glasses are you interested in yep. putting your product in front of them yes if they and they will be they are going to be okay for with that because that's what they want and 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 everybody wins. I mean, look, I was out, <clears throat> I was out yesterday at a shopping mall looking for something very specific, and I couldn't find it. I went to Adidas, I went to Puma, I went to Nike, I went to everybody, and I could not find it, and I was so mad. So it was not for a <laughs> camera grid. <laughs> yeah, Martin always gets worried. Oh, Michael, 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 Michael. Michael. <laughs> and actually, before and actually before we started recording, I found two new microphones in this office, and I didn't tell him about it. Anyway, um, <laughs> anything else? <laughs> this has been a killer conversation. Yeah, definitely, it is super good. Okay, so can we thank him? Yeah, thank you very much, Emilio. That was awesome to learn more about what you're doing. Yeah, thanks for just like being so open and honest with this. It was yeah. super, and I learned a ton. Hopefully you had a good time. I had a blast, and we got to make fun of Martin a little bit, so that it all yeah, works Yeah, no, thanks, thanks to you for, for inviting me. It's a, it's a really great opportunity for me to learn from, from, from guys like you that are working with the e-com ecosystem too, so very very grateful about that and also i will i hope to visit bangkok someday soon uh, and, and grab a beer with Please you guys come. <laughs> thank you very much thanks for coming on e-commerce undercover okay bye-bye that was awesome have a nice week